You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Good morning, Radiant Church. So good to see you this morning. Happy Sunday. Hey, I'm going to take a second, a moment to celebrate what God did last weekend during our Easter services and uh, weekend services. It started on Saturday. We had an Easter egg dash, really a community Easter egg dash. Our heart was really to minister to our community. We had between 200 and 300 people here. We had all kinds of egg, uh, eggs, 3,000 eggs. We had free candy free food and uh, prizes and balloons, and it was just an awesome and amazing time. We had several first-time families with us. We had some families who said they didn't even know that this was a church or a non-denom church, so that was really cool. And then on Sunday, we celebrated three services here with over 400 people in attendance at all three of those services. That's amazing. Um, I think over 60 kids, and the best part about it is we had around 20 people make decisions for Jesus Christ. So that is amazing. Super excited for what the Lord is doing here at Radiant Church. And thank you for being involved. I just want to say thank you to all of you who served last weekend, whether it was Saturday or Sunday, who made it happen. Our leaders, our team at Radiant, you guys put in the hours, you put in the time, and thank you so much for sacrificing your energy, your resources, so that others might know Christ. Well, this morning we are beginning a brand new five-week message series entitled Pray Like Jesus. And so obviously our topic for the next few weeks is the topic of prayer. But more specifically, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the prayer life of Jesus. And we're going to ask ourselves a question, how should or how can Uh, The prayer life of Jesus impact our daily prayer lives today. And I recently have been going through this book um, entitled Pray Like Jesus, obviously by Mark Driscoll and his daughter, Ashley Chase. And I was inspired by the book. Some of the themes I'll be pulling from that book, highly recommend it. Pick it up on Amazon or whatever your favorite uh, retail place to pick it up. And so we'll be looking at some of the themes from that book. But at its most basic definition of prayer, prayer is simply this. It's communicating with God, right? If we want to just sort of distill the definition down to its uh, smallest definition, we can simply say that prayer is communicating with God. Now, one author and pastor by the name of Pete Gregg has said this, that prayer is asking God for help. Prayer is asking God for help. Another very simple definition. Now, we all know that there are many sort of aspects or several aspects of prayer, but again, let's make it very basic for this morning. The two most basic aspects of prayer Number one is talking to God. Number two is listening to God. Again, both are very, very important. But let me say this. 
that the ultimate goal of prayer is growing and nurturing our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That is the ultimate goal, to grow, to nurture, to cultivate our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, we know this, that in the Christian faith, that prayer is pretty much like the most fundamental discipline, right? All of us know about prayer, right? We all know that we should pray, but if we can be honest, I think many of us would admit that we're not very good at praying, that we don't know how to pray. Maybe some of us are uncomfortable praying out loud. In fact, listen, I have never met a person, I've never met a person who told me that their prayer life was exactly the way they thought it should be. I've never met a person to say, you know what, I pray as often as I would like to, and I pray as earnestly as I would like to. No, never. So my point is, I think we could all admit that we could pray more uh, consistently on a consistent basis. All of us could grow in this area. So when we think about our church, some of us in here, and you're watching online maybe, Maybe some of us have vibrant prayer lives, right? We pray daily. We, we pray uh, in the morning or at night, in the middle of the day. We have vibrant prayer lives. We're connected to the Father. Some of us in here, perhaps, though, our prayer lives are non-existent, right? And we pray when we eat, right? Thank you, God, for the chicken McNuggets, okay? You got you to gotta pray before you eat McDonald's because you have no idea what's in the food anyways, right? So you pray before you eat, And then you pray when life gets really bad. Like, oh, Lord, what am I going to do right now, right? You pray when, you know, stuff hits the fan. We'll just say it like that. But other than that, you really don't pray. Now, here's one of my big sort of takeaway ideas as I set the stage for this morning. Prayer is something you, is not something you have to do, but prayer is something that you get to do, Okay. Prayer is something that that, that you don't have to do, but you get the opportunity to pray. Now, I want you to see it like this. And let me just say this, that your heavenly Father loves you. He's very much interested in your life and the details of your life. He loves you, right? He wants to help, and he always has time for you, okay? Your earthly Father or your heavenly Father loves you, okay? Wants to help you. He always has time for you, and he's inviting you into his presence, okay? He's inviting you into his presence. So for these next five weeks, here's our goal, okay? Here's our goal. Wherever you're at on the spectrum of prayer, whether you're just sort of beginning, you know you should pray, but you never pray, or you have this vibrant prayer life, wherever you lie on the spectrum of prayer, here's what I want us to do as as a body of believers, as Radiant Church I simply want us to take that next step, right? Take that next step, okay? What does that mean? What does that mean to take that next step? Well, it means this. It means that uh, if you've never prayed with your spouse, pray with your spouse. I know that it can be awkward, right? And maybe it's uncomfortable, but take that next step. Take that next step over the next few weeks. Husbands, I'm going to call you out for a moment. If you've never led your family in prayer, if you've never led your children in prayer, take that next step. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to use big words to try to impress God, but just take that next step. What if you're here and you are uncomfortable praying out loud in front of others? I've met a lot of people like that. 
we're in a circle, and you're like, hey, can you pray? And they're like, um, uh, uh, God, uh, uh, God, thank you, uh, right? And they just don't know what to say, and that's okay. Maybe you're uncomfortable praying out loud in front of other people. Hey, take that next step over the next several weeks, okay? That next step. Maybe you're here, and you only pray when life is terrible, okay? That's, that's really the only time you pray, Somebody gets really sick or someone's in the hospital or, you know, uh, things go wrong at work. Whatever it is, take that next step to implement daily prayer in your life, okay? Whatever that looks like for you. I want you to take the next step for you. I don't know your next step, but the good news is the Holy Spirit knows your next step, okay? And he will guide you and instruct you. So listen and hear my heart here. The intent of the series is not to beat you up or to guilt trip you into prayer. Because let's be honest, all of us can say, hey, I don't pray enough. I should pray more here. I should do this, right? That's not the intent. The intent, rather, the goal, rather, is to draw you closer in your relationship with your heavenly Father. Okay? That's right. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Because here's what I believe with all my heart. I believe this, that when we talk to God in prayer... That when we listen to him in prayer and read scripture, that life goes better. Right? Doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect life. Obviously not. Jesus said we'll have trouble. Okay? We have plenty of trouble in our world. But when you pray, when you talk to God, when you listen to his direction, get his direction on something, on a decision, life will go much better. And listen, when you pray, when you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father in prayer, you can stand secure. You can stand firm on solid ground. You can stand secure in Jesus even when it seems like the world is falling apart all around you. And that's what I want for our church. That's what I want for each and every single one of you. So let's do that right now. Let's pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to open up God's word here in just a few more moments, but let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for this beautiful Sunday, God. God, I'm thinking of Psalm 119, verse 72, which says this, the law from your mouth is more precious than a thousand pieces of silver and gold. God, may your word this morning be more precious than all of earth's riches. May it be more precious than anything else in our lives. God, would you use your word this morning to teach us, to maybe correct us, to rebuke us for those who need it, to train us in righteousness. God, this morning, use your word to encourage us. Use your word to strengthen us. And Lord, I pray that you might use your word to awaken faith in this place for those of us who maybe have no faith, or maybe we've been beat up by church, or we've been hurt in the past, or whatever story we might have, God, that you might encourage us and heal our hearts. We thank you so much for it. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. All right. Amen, amen, amen. Listen, this morning, I want to begin with big lessons from little kids. Big lessons from little kids. I think as adults, we think that we're supposed to do all the teaching, right? We think that we are the teachers, that we're in charge. We have all the answers. Well, most of the time we know we don't have all the answers, but here is the truth. The truth is, is that our children or simply the children around us or in our church have a lot to teach us. Specifically, I think children have much to teach us on the topic of prayer and discipleship. 
on prayer and discipleship. Now, you're probably thinking, how in the world can my kids teach me about prayer and about discipleship? Or the kids that I know, because if you don't have kids, that's okay. Listen, but you, you, know, you know the kids here at church, you're, you're in your family. Well, listen, here's what I want to say or I want to begin saying this morning is that God relates to each of us as the Father relates to his children, okay? We are his kids, and he is our Father. And this morning, I want to begin, uh, since this is a topical series, we're going to kind of be all over the Bible, uh, specifically in the Gospels, though, obviously. But I want to begin with two portions of Scripture from the Gospels, okay? And we're going to see the words of Jesus here, which are profound, which are amazing, which have life-transforming power. But here's what I want you to notice here over the next several minutes. I want you to notice how Jesus reflects the Father heart of God perfectly. Jesus reflects the Father heart of God perfectly. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. It says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Those are important words, right? When Jesus says you'll never enter the kingdom of of heaven, that's like we should pay attention to that, right? So here we are. Here's the context. Disciples are literally having an argument about Really, who's the greatest among them? They're like, who's the, who's the greatest in heaven? Like, it's going to be one of us, right, Jesus? Here's the thing. These disciples are, like, rough around the edges. I mean, they're, they're a bit rugged. They're immature. And they're obviously competitive, okay? They're like, I want to be the first one. I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, who's the greatest among us, Jesus? Who's the greatest in heaven? And I love, I love Jesus' response. Because instead of rebuking them, he what? He redirects them, okay? Instead of rebuking them here, he redirects them. And he, he has a, ch- a child come in the, midst of, uh, in the midst of them and says, unless you become like this child, unless you become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is Jesus saying here? He says this, his point is this, that Christian faith is not to be childish, rather Christian faith is to be childlike, okay? Christian faith is not to be childish, but rather childlike. I mean, think about it for just a moment. Think about your kids. Think about the kids that you know. If you don't have kids right now, that's okay. But think about the kids that you do know. What are kids like? Just think about that for a few moments. I have a, a six-year-old and now a four-year-old. He just turned four today, so that's pretty amazing, right? And so I have two kids. I'm going to think about my two kids for just a few moments. And when I think about my kids, I, I, I think about this. They are, they are uh, they're innocent. Well, sometimes. <laughs> they're honest, most of the time. Um, they're humble. They're totally dependent upon me and and. And their mother, um, they are not concerned with social status um, or recognition or performing or outperforming one another like adults often uh, do or often concerned with. They're trusting. They're not competitive. 
That's what Jesus is trying to say here. He's calling us adults, disciples. He's saying you need to be like a child to be totally dependent upon your father. You know, my kids don't worry about their next meal. They just know that I'm going to provide it. When they, when they ask me for a glass of milk, they just know that their father will give it to them. They don't know anything about the grocery store, about how, how much a gallon of milk costs, or whether it's almond milk or, you know, 2% milk, whatever. They just know that I'm going to give them the milk and everything is going to be okay. And Jesus is trying to, to, to bring this point out. In our faith, we need to be childlike. And we, we see here Jesus reflecting what? The perfect sort of father heart of God. Now, another similar passage I want to I show you to you. In this passage, we've got all these kids coming to Jesus. It's like Santa Claus at the mall. You know what I'm saying? He's like, oh, sitting on his lap, and he's, he's praying for them. He's blessing them. He's probably hugging them. And all the parents feel totally safe with, with Jesus, okay? He's not like a creep or anything. They, I mean, Jesus is like the safest person on the planet, And notice what happens here, Luke 18, verses 15 through 17. People were also bringing babies. I mean, little babies. Isn't that crazy? Like, moms, would you just let anyone hold your baby? No. Right? You wouldn't wouldn't just go up to a stranger and be like, hey, you look like you feel like you should, you look like you should hold a baby. Here you go. Right? Like, you would never do that. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to what? Place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Who? The children. The disciples are upset. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, he's kind of reiterating this point we saw in Matthew. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Isn't that amazing, right? Parents are bringing their children to Jesus. He's laying his hands on them, blessing them, praying for them. He's, the kids are probably laughing. They're happy. Jesus is, is, is happy. And I just think this, this is the, the safest place for a child to be are in the arms of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The safest place for a child to be are, are in the arms of Jesus and, and his hands. And I can't help but think as I look at this passage, and fathers, let me just talk to you for a few moments. This is convicting to my own heart. This is a challenge for me. But these hands should only be used for what? Blessing and praying for. These hands are not used for beating, for abusing, Right? His hands are used for what? For blessing and for praying for. And I, I, I think this is powerful because this is challenging for earthly fathers. Because why? Because we see Jesus reflecting the Father heart of God. But the challenge, I think, is that we as earthly fathers should also reflect the Father heart of God shown in Jesus. Wow. <laughs> Whew. A little bit of pressure, right? It should be a little bit of pressure. I'm, I mean, honestly, That we as earthly fathers should also reflect the father heart of God. No, there is no such thing as a perfect earthly father. We know that. And I'm not here to condemn unearthly fathers. I'm not here to beat you up. But we're challenged by God's word, right? Because in this time, in the first century, Greco-Roman culture, children had no social status. So the disciples thought it was a big waste of time 
for Jesus to pray for them. They're like, hey, we've got an agenda. We've got to take this show on the road, Jesus. You've got people to heal. And he's over here like hanging out with kids and babies and blessing them. They're like, ah, scram, get out of here. Like, like, shaking them off. Can you imagine Peter's just like, ah, right? Get this kid off of me. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? You morons? Like, no. I probably didn't say moron, sorry. Let the little children come to me. Jesus displays the Father heart of God perfectly. Now, adults, think about this for a few moments. Because this is big lessons for little kids, right? From little kids. And it's not that, adults, it's not that we never learn these lessons when it comes to our faith, right? It's not that we never learn them. It's that we forget them. The reason that we forget them is because of life, right? I mean, the pressures of life, responsibility, stress, and your boss who gets on your nerves, and right, the, the craziness and the madness of our world. And so we need children to remind us of what? A childlike faith. Trusting, dependent, humble, not trying to outperform each other, not trying to show off in front of other people. This is what Jesus is calling us to. And again, Jesus displays the father heart of God. He calls us to a, a childlike faith. And now that we've seen Jesus welcome and receive children, and we've seen him display the father heart of God, in just a moment, not yet, I'm, I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 11. And this is a passage of scripture, the Lord's Prayer. We'll, we'll go into depth about this in, in a later week, Okay. But just for now, we're going to scratch the surface of it. But here in Luke 11, the disciples see Jesus praying, and, and they want to know how to pray. They want to learn how to pray. So let's go ahead and look at that right now. Luke 11, 1 and 2, it says this. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. That's a, that's a, great, that's a great prayer. Let me just pause here. That's a great prayer, by the way. Because if you're here and you're like, I'm trying to figure this out. That's a great prayer. Just say, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach me to pray. Can I just tell you, he, he always honors that prayer. He'll always listen to that prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. What a beautiful prayer. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say what? Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And I want to point you to what Jesus first says. He says, when you pray, say what? Say, Father. That's, that's huge. And I just want to focus on that because did you know that Jesus' favorite or most referred to or most used title for God is the word Father? Okay? It's the word Father. Now, in the Old Testament, um, the, the word father referring to God only shows up about 15 times. And when it does, it, it mostly refers to the nation of Israel's relationship with God. In other words, it's not personal. It's not warm and loving communication with an individual. When Jesus steps onto the scene, everything changes. Everything changes. Did you know this? That Jesus uses or calls God his father over 100 times in the Gospel of John. Isn't that amazing? Over 100 times in the Gospel of John. And in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, about 165 times Jesus refers to God as Father. 
Father. Isn't that amazing? It's important for us to, to get our minds wrapped around that concept. But when I mention the word Father, you don't have to answer out loud, so don't worry. But when I mention the word Father, what comes to mind, right? What, what comes, just think of that for a second. What comes to mind? Because for some of you, you smile, maybe you laugh because you have these fond childhood memories. And your father was and is your hero, okay? And, and you, uh, maybe for some of you, you, you smile because just a few weeks ago, maybe for some of you, you were with your father and it was a, more great memories. Now, for others of you, when I say the word father, you have a very different reaction. And for you, it's more like a trigger, but it's not, it's not positive, okay? You have a very different reaction. Your father was not and is not your hero, Perhaps he was absent. Um, perhaps he hurt you or abused you. Uh, maybe he hurt you uh, physically or spiritually or emotionally. And again, this is like a trigger for you, and it, it sparks up emotion like anger, or bitterness, like, like resentment maybe even for some of us. So why, is, again, is this so important? Well, I'll say it again. God relates to us as a father relates to his children. And so when we see Jesus praying in Luke 11, what is he doing? He's praying out of a relationship with his father, with his heavenly father. And that makes me think of this, that for all of us, including myself, that for all of us in here, perhaps maybe we shouldn't say to ourselves, I really should pray. I'm going to pray more. I, I know I need to pray. I should, I'm, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to do better. That's, that's, <laughs> I hear that often in church. I'm going to do better. Instead of just saying, I'm going to do better at prayer, or I, I need to get better at praying more, perhaps maybe our focus should be rather cultivating a relationship with God as Father and relating to him as Father, as our Heavenly Father. And when we do that, perhaps, just perhaps, the prayer thing, would just start working itself out, right? It just start working itself out. I love what Mark Driscoll says in his book, Pray Like Jesus. He says, people who don't enjoy a healthy relationship with God as Father find prayer to be as complicated, awkward, and imbalanced as trying to ride a bike with one pedal. The first and most important pedal to push down is receiving and returning the Father's love for you. Receiving and returning the Father's love for you. That's, that's, that's our first responsibility. But sadly, um, people have difficulty with that because they had a, get a bad dad, maybe, okay? Maybe, and here's the reality for all of us this morning. E even if you had a good dad, you didn't have a perfect dad, right? Right? Even if you had a good dad, you didn't have a, a perfect dad. So this can cause a lot of confusion when it comes to what? relating to God as Father. It could be painful. It can cause a lot of confusion. I want to point you to an Old Testament passage here. It's in the book of Malachi in a moment. And uh, this is actually a prophecy about um, the preaching of uh, John the Baptist, that he would come uh, really in the spirit of Elijah. And I want you to notice this sort of prophecy at the very end of the Old Testament as we're about to head into the New Testament. Malachi 4.6 says this in the ESV, 
and he would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction, literally unless I declare a curse on the land, unless I declare a curse on the nation. This is interesting because God's final word in the Old Testament is that families and nations are cursed for generations when fathers do not have a heart for their children. Because in turn, here's what happens. Children do not have a heart for their fathers. And what we have right now in our nation is an overwhelming problem of fatherless homes or uninvolved fathers in our nation, in our churches. And the reason why so many families are crumbling and the reason why churches sometimes are crumbling, the reason why our nation is crumbling, because it's built on the family unit and the family unit is being destroyed. And we have fatherless homes, uninvolved fathers, unloving fathers who have no heart for their children, and therefore, their children have no heart for their father, and then when the child grows up, becomes a father himself, he has no idea how to become a loving father. This breakdown, Jesus predicted this himself. Now, when we think of fathers, here's what I want to do. I want to put fathers into three different categories, okay? The first category is physical fathers. Obviously, those are our biological fathers, okay? The second category would be our spiritual fathers. Now, our spiritual fathers are those uh, uh, men who teach us God's word, who proclaim the gospel, who impart wisdom to us by the scripture, okay? Those are spiritual fathers in our lives. And then finally, we have what we call father figures. Father figures, okay? Father figures are what? Those are coaches, mentors. Sometimes it's almost like a big brother in in some cases. Okay, father figures. So we have physical fathers, biological father. We have our spiritual father, those who teach us God's word, proclaim God's truth. Father-like figures, father figures, mentors, coaches, and the like in our lives. Now, here's here's what what we see. Because there's no such thing as a perfect earthly father, again, we know that, we are all bound to have some degree of hurt and disappointment in one or more of these areas, okay? We're bound to have hurt and disappointment in one or more of these areas. And this is what we call, or this is what we know as a father wound. What is a father wound? What's this? A father wound is simply an unhealed hurt from a physical or spiritual father or father figure, okay? Many of us today in this room might have father wounds. Some have suppressed it. We no longer, like, we don't think about it. Some have forgiven, so we're kind of over it. But perhaps many of us are still battling a father wound. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take you through a list of eight types of dads. And all I want you to do is simply reflect, hear, listen, 
perhaps maybe you can resonate with one of these, okay? Let's just see what the Holy Spirit does. This is not meant to beat up anybody. This is not meant to hurt anyone. This is simply meant to sort of illuminate, perhaps, maybe what some of us have experienced. Why? Because God has to bring light on issues before there can be healing. Amen? Before he heals your heart, he must reveal those things in your heart that need to be healed. And perhaps over the next few minutes, God will begin that process. Dad, number one, this is the missing in action man. The missing in action man. The missing in action man um, was a father who was sick. Maybe there was a, some sort of chronic illness. Um, he passed away at an early age. And so, so he wasn't there. To, he wasn't able to be there for you in a normal and healthy way. And his absence was not a personal rejection, but it did create a personal loss for you. Okay? Call it the missing in action man. Number two, the deadbeat dad. The deadbeat dad. This is the man who's he's walked out on your life. Um, he, he doesn't really care to get to know you. He's never shown you much love. He's never been interested in helping you or blessing you. He's a deadbeat dad. Okay. Number three, the addicted dad. The addicted dad is the dad who self-medicates, okay, with drugs and alcohol and sex and porn and gambling, whatever it might be. And his addiction takes up so much time that he barely has uh, time for anything or anyone else. The addicted dad. Number four, the Mr. Nice Guy. The Mr. Nice Guy. Uh, this is the dad that he's, um, he's genuinely tender. He's kind-hearted. He, um, he does show love. He's patient, but he doesn't like conflict. And he's pretty passive, so he gets walked on often. And um, he gets overlooked at work, so he doesn't win at work, but he wins at home. He doesn't win at work but he wins at home. Number five, we see the selfish dad. The selfish dad, this is the man or the dad that devotes his time to all of his hobbies, okay? He hunts, he fishes, um, watches football games, he drinks beer, golfs, he boats, plays video games for hours. Um, he likes to hang out with his buddies instead of doing stuff with his family. And his time and money and resources all go to his um, to out of order priorities. He's a selfish dad. Number six, the party dad. This is the man, this is the nice guy who most everyone likes but hardly anyone respects. Walks into a room, it's like, oh, we love this guy, right? Life of the party, he's so much fun to be around. But the problem is, is he's irresponsible and he's unreliable. You can't count on him because he's immature and he refuses to grow up and consistently take on Adult responsibilities. Party dad. Number seven, this is the domineering dad. This is the guy who's overbearing, he's intimidating, and the way that he rules is through bullying. Pushes you around, right? Um, tactics are pushing you around physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Sometimes these, these dads gravitate more towards the military style. They gravitate towards sports or the business world. And these dads, they win at work, but they lose at home. They win at work, but they lose at home because they, they're unable to cultivate relationship with their family. And finally, number eight is the good dad. The good dad. This guy's not perfect, okay, but he's present. 
He's not perfect, but he's present. He does care. He's a, he, he's a burden lifter. He's not, he's not a burden giver. And when he's wrong, he apologizes because he knows he's not perfect. And he wants to learn. He wants to grow. And he wants to be a better dad. Okay? The good dad. You see, here's what I've discovered what happens in life when it comes to our earthly father. You see, sometimes the wounds of an earthly father block the light of your heavenly father. And it's hard to receive your heavenly father's love when your bitterness over your earthly father is blocking it. This may be the reason why you struggle with prayer. How do we get over it? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, when there's fathers not involved, it creates a hole in our families, a wounding in our hearts. And that sort of just cycles through the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. You see a crumbling of a nation, the crumbling of a family unit. Perhaps you're here this morning and you feel like fatherless. I want to I encourage you, though. Psalm 68, verse 4 and 5 says this. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides in the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. Verse 5 says this. A father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Our Father in heaven is a perfect Father. And for those of you who today feel like you're fatherless, he is a Father to the fatherless. He is faithful. Your earthly Father may have abandoned you, but your heavenly Father will always be with you. Your earthly father may have spoken words of death on you, but your heavenly father speaks words of life to you. Your earthly father may have hurt you physically, but your heavenly father wants to heal you and make you whole. But it starts with forgiveness. This morning, will you forgive? Here's where we're going to go for. Here's where we're going to go from here. In just a second, we're going to sing a song relating to the Father. Here's what I want you to do. If you're here and you're hurting, if you're here and your earthly Father has blocked the light of your heavenly Father, I want you to begin to forgive. I know that it may not happen all at once, but I want you to begin to forgive. Begin the process. And when, listen, when that earthly Father wound is removed, it's like an eclipse. All of a sudden it's removed and you can see the full sun, the full light and receive the full love and return the love to your earthly children that you've received from your heavenly father. It begins with forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for this message. We thank you, God, that you are a father to the fatherless, God. 
So renew our hearts, heal our hearts. God, we know that we've fallen short. We know that there's no such thing as a perfect earthly father. And so God, before we can get a handle on prayer and what to pray and how to pray, God, we must get a handle on our father wounds. And so God, heal our hearts today. Thank you for being a father to the fatherless. Thank you for being faithful, loving, kind, caring, and patient. And may we too reflect the perfect father heart of God. In Jesus' name.